What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. This summer, click into cordless power with Memorial Day savings at the Home Depot. Tackle more than half an acre of grass with the convenience and gas-like power of the Ryobi 40-volt battery-powered mower. And keep your flower beds looking fresh with the 40-volt cordless string trimmer. Then clear leaves and debris with the 40-volt leaf blower. No cords, no gas, no hassle. Click into Memorial Day savings happening now at the Home Depot and on homedepot.com. How doers get more done. L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. Have you been thinking about LASIK but not sure if you're a candidate? Just go to LASIK.com slash quiz and take our free candidacy quiz. In just a few minutes, you'll know if LASIK is likely right for you. And if it is, we'll connect you with experienced LASIK doctors in your area. Start your journey towards 2020 vision. Take our free candidacy quiz at LASIK.com slash quiz. Yeah, LASIK.com. Easy to remember, so you know where to start. L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. This is the Wells Cast with Wells Adams, an iHeartRadio podcast. What up, everybody? Yep, Wells Cast. Coming back at you live from my home studio because don't want to leave the house. Very excited about today's episode. If you are one of those people who loves food porn, you are pumped about my guest today. This is a food network icon, okay? He's got a bunch of shows on the food network. He's got an amazing restaurant up in San Francisco. He graduated from the College of Culinary Arts of Charleston, South Carolina. I know nothing about colleges, but I can only assume that's the Harvard of chopping He's been seen on Globe Trekker, Food 911, How to Boil Water, and co-hosted Worst Cooks in America, and Tyler's Ultimate. Today's guest is, wait for it, Tyler Florence. Very excited about the show today. One, I want to find out what's going on in his life. How the hell he became one of the most popular chefs on the Food Network, which I can only assume is a very, very coveted role to get in the culinary world. Also, being a chef and being in the times that we're living right now, I want to know what we all should be doing to get through this weird quarantine. What should we be looking for in the grocery stores? What should we be cooking? Does he have a zombie apocalypse meal? I don't know. Maybe he does. Anyways, sit back, relax, and get ready to probably be hungry at the end of it. Coming up in just a couple of minutes, Tyler Florence, right here on the Wells Cast. L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. Have you been thinking about LASIK but not sure if you're a candidate? Just go to LASIK.com slash quiz and take our free candidacy quiz. In just a few minutes, you'll know if LASIK is likely right for you. And if it is, we'll connect you with experienced LASIK doctors in your area. Start your journey towards 2020 vision. Take our free candidacy quiz at LASIK.com slash quiz. Yeah, LASIK.com. Easy to remember, so you know where to start. L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. You deserve a moment to yourself every single day. 
And a delicious bite of a Keebler Sandies can give you that comforting pause. <sighs> Celebrate the end of your workday with the melt-in-your-mouth magic of a Keebler Sandies. This magic is baked into simple shortbread cookies by Ernie and the Keebler Elves. So as another busy Thursday flies by, make the most of your me moment. Take a pause and enjoy a Keebler Sandies. Time is a luxury for us, especially if you're a mom. That's why we need a skincare routine that's easy, fast, and gives us results. Plus, what if your products had thousands of five-star reviews? Were natural and affordable? Well, say hello to Dime Beauty. Dime Beauty is clean, high-end skincare that is affordable, and it really works. Not sure where to start? I highly recommend the Work System. It's everything you need in one powerful package. Take out the guesswork with a proven routine that includes a gentle yet effective cleanser, a super skin toner, two incredible serums, and two luxurious moisturizers. See what everyone is raving about. Dime has over 2 million happy Happy customers and their product reviews are literally five stars. And right now through Monday, Dime has their spring into savings sale. Get 25% off site-wide. Go to dimebeautyco.com for 25% off every product on the site. That's dimebeautyco.com for 25% off. But hurry, the spring into savings sale ends Monday. Go to dimebeautyco.com. All right, back in the Wells cast. Very excited to have the man, the myth, the legend of the kitchen on the show, Tyler Florence. How are you, my man? I'm great. Wells, how are you? I'm doing good. I mean, we're in a weird time right now. And I'm actually, I think this is a very apropos time to have you on the show. You know, I started in the service industry. People know me as a bartender. And anyone who's working in the service industry right now is taking a huge hit. I mean, you own a fantastic restaurant up in the Bay Area. What is it like in the service industry right now? Is it completely dead? Is everyone getting fired? What's going on? You know, it's a combination of everything you just said. Yeah, yes, we're dead. Um, yes, we've laid people off, and and it, it's it's a horror show to be honest with you, right? And we're trying to figure out what we can do. You know, we're normally a very busy restaurant in San Francisco. Thank God, knock on wood. And we have been since we've opened. We're, we're about to celebrate our 10th anniversary, Wayfair Tavern in San Francisco. And we, we love our associates. We've got 150 people. Most of them have been with us for years. And, uh, you know, and, and that that's front of the house. That's wait staff, bartenders, some of our front of the house managers or sommeliers or chefs or pastry chefs. We've got employees who've been with us for years. And now we have to look in the eye and, and say, listen, we just literally don't have the cash to keep you on the books for longer than say you know two weeks and we tried really really hard just to kind of keep everybody on board and so what we've done from a business standpoint is scale down tremendously because we you know at the end of the day we we want there to be something that we can hire them back for so we're trying to keep our expenses down to a minimum right now we're doing takeout we're exclusively on caviar by no means is that a windfall from a cash standpoint, but it's something. It's something to keep about about twelve people employed in the kitchen right now. And we just got a food truck, right? So we're you know the idea with that you could do curbside pickup. We're trying to create more curbs where you can pick up our food, right? So the the food truck is bouncing around from neighborhood to neighborhood, and we have a very tight protocol as far as getting the food to people through a window, right? So the food is cooked inside the truck, but it's boxed and then it's bagged, and the bag just taped shut and it goes through a window. So there's very minimal contact. We're just trying to keep that going. You know, we're looking at how we can start to cater hospitals next week uh, with our food truck. And I know that feels dangerous, but you know those people have to eat too. So we're, we're just trying to be creative about it and, and figure out what we can do to 
just to stay alive. That's the restaurant side for sure. Mm -hmm. And that's everybody. It's a scary time. And like we've been sending, my brother and I have been sending pizzas and sandwiches to all the ER doctors because those guys are mm -hmm. just like, they're just there the entire time. And I think that's a really cool thing that you guys are doing. And hopefully this will be over sooner rather than later. Although it, I don't know if, if it is or not. On the other side of things, I wanted to ask you, you know, it's scary time to go to the grocery store. You can't go to farmer's markets, I feel like. You are a guy who I assume goes to the farmer's markets and grocery stores and finds things to cook amazing meals in, in your restaurants. Do you have suggestions for people out there trying to figure out what the hell to go get, you know, in times of crazy long quarantine? Yeah, I mean, first of all, I, I would just tell everybody to simplify your menus, right? I would really focus on things that have to, a lot to do with rice and have a lot to do with pasta or have a lot to do with dried beans, right? We always have, you know, a couple pounds or always, I, you know, in the last two weeks, we always have, you know, a couple pounds of beans that are, they're soaking on the countertop to so we can turn that into, you know, a chili that will last a couple of days or, you know, a, a cannellini bean soup that we can last for a couple of days. And then like the rice thing has been really important for us because, you know, you can turn that to a stir fry. You can make just sort of a big sort of like, you know, saute pan, yummy mashup with like veggies and spinach and chicken and rice and you know splash some teriyaki sauce on it and something and have and have something like a nice big bowl of something warm and then pasta for sure we've been crushing a lot of pasta and the big question I've gotten from people is like can I make something and then freeze it and then pull it back out again what can I make and freeze and my suggestion is to don't do that at all only because especially if you put something if you make a pasta dish the carbohydrates in the pasta will absorb the sauce and then by the time you reheat it it's going to be dry as a bone so my suggestion is is to make things individually like the ingredients right like so let's just say you're going to you know go deep with 3 or 4 pounds of ground turkey and then cook that with, uh, you know, uh, diced onion and garlic and fresh thyme and olive oil and, you know, a little bit of salt and pepper, and then let that cool off and then take the cooked ground turkey and then bag that and then freeze that. And you can do the same thing with vegetables, right, just to get ahead of it, like, you know, Brussels sprouts, cauliflower, broccoli, you know, green beans, you name it, roast it on a sheet pan and then take it out, bag it. And then when you're looking for something to make, all of a sudden you have these individual ingredients and then you're going back to, you know, beans, pasta and rice, right? You know, what can I do with this? Can I make, uh, can I make some tacos tonight? Can I make, uh, you know, pasta, you know, with, with ground turkey, you can go bolognese, you can go tacos, you can do so many different things with it. So I think that's sort of like the smart call is to not make something ahead of time, but make the individual ingredients ahead of time and then kind of make something that feels feels hot and fresh right there in the moment, depending on what you're into that day. I love it. Almost like a Mexican kitchen, you know, or like at all the same ingredients make 17 million different dishes. <laughs> kind of, kind of, <laughs> absolutely. So here's my, my issue. We went and stocked up the refrigerator and the pantry, you know, when we knew that we were going to be staying at home a lot. Now I tend to like bored eat, you know, like it's like, what do I do? Like I'm on the 17th season of Westworld. Let's just go make something else. And uh -huh. I imagine for you, it's even harder because the stuff that I'm making isn't any good, but the stuff that you make is always really good. So is it hard for you to like not be like bored cooking constantly during the quarantine? We have a lot of potato chips here in the house. <laughs> I know that for sure. And, you know, I, I have two, you know, preteen kids. I have a 12-year-old son and 11-year-old daughter. And, and they're, you know, I don't know where the snacks are going, but they're, you know, they're, you know, we every day there's one less big bag of potato chips. So yeah. we're trying our best just to make sure that we're, you know, that those things end up becoming, you know, like a treat instead of a, a full sit-down gorge fest watching television. And by look, you look down, I've eaten two huge bags of Lay's potato chips watching Westworld. Yeah. 
uh, <laughs> over and over again. So we're trying our best just to make sure there's like scheduled meal times, and and, and I think that's important. Like, thank God um, our, our schools have finally gotten it together with Zoom. This has been strange for everybody, and schools just aren't really prepped for this kind of at home teaching. So the first two weeks have been were kind of rough figuring out what to do. Like they were sending you know work via email, but all the instructions were really complicated, and, and nobody really knew what to do. But now there's actually Zoom classrooms that our kids do every day. At least there's a beginning and a middle and an end to the day where it feels like there's some sort of structure and we're not getting up. And so this is what I would tell everybody. Just get up and treat it like it's a normal day. Like get up, get a shower, go exercise, right? Like like make a meal and then think about lunch. Boredom can really uh, uh, fill in the gaps of what you would normally do from a scheduling standpoint. So I think just being very aware of your day and what you're eating will make that recovery from a gym standpoint once all this is over a little easier for everybody. But yeah, I, I'm, I'm with you. I mean, like some of the first couple of days we're like, okay, wow, I just felt like I was eating a lot. But now we're just trying to get to a really deep routine. Yeah, I'm glad the Zoom thing is there, especially for my sisters. I have nine nieces and nephews and one sister sent me a meme where it was like, homeschooling's going well, two kids have been suspended for fighting and the teacher has been fired for drinking on the job. <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> oh my god yeah yeah i mean people this is so weird i mean all of this is so weird for people man that you know people are at home just just trying to you know make the day go by faster or or, or be a little less anxious and and honestly like whatever it takes you know what i mean like if, if you're into edibles do it man if you want a glass of wine do it like other than just just starting to get stir crazy just try to enjoy yourself a little bit i, I don't think there's anything wrong with I'd, i would rather be a little buzzed than really anxious yeah. You know, because I think the anxiety for a lot of people, just because you just get bombarded with the news, turn the news off. That would be my other thing. Like, it's not going to change. The news is not going to change today or tomorrow or anytime in the near future. It's just going to be new stats that aren't going to be good to hear or listen to. And it's just going to do crazy things with your brain. I would minimize like how much news you're consuming on a daily basis. So you're not just sort of spinning out of control and just try to make, try to make the new normal, normal. Exercise is so like yesterday I did 10 miles on my Peloton. And, uh, and, and I've got sort of a busy day today, but I'm going to schedule that around like 7 30, 8 o'clock tonight. I'm going to do another 10 miles just because it makes me feel so much better. My head is so clear when I've had some exercise and some really kind of pumping some oxygen in your blood. So that, that would be my, my recommendation for everybody, man. I, I know it's weird, um, but get in the kitchen, cook something, you know, hang out with your kids, make this. Not something that they'll never, well, a they'll never forget it anyway. But make it, you know, a moment where you all came together as as your tribe, and and really, you know, created some bonds that will last in the rest of your life. If you're making banana bread, if you're making, you know, scrambling eggs, if you're making spaghetti sauce, and you bring the kids in and you guys are doing this together, and they feel like they're a part of the solution, um, it makes them less anxious. And instead of watching the news, maybe watch one of the shows that uh, you're on, because you are on a lot of television shows, Globe Trekker, Food 911, How to Boil Water, Worst Cooks in America. And then I was looking at your Instagram earlier today, and you got a new YouTube series out. Yeah, Wolf It Down. Yeah, yeah. So, so we, we just launched a new Wolf It Down, a new YouTube brand, which is sort of a, a multimedia platform. We're very excited about it. And we have, there's two YouTube channels that are going with the brand right now. There's Wolf It Down, and, and you can look that up on YouTube. And then, then, and then there's Wolf It Down 
ITK, which stands for In the Kitchen. So Wolf It Down is going to be a travel and adventure series and sort of like a behind-the-scenes look at the high-profile culinary world. And then the Wolf It Down ITK is just us in the kitchen, you know, really hardcore DIY cooking projects, which are always always so much fun to kind of get into. So we're, we're doing that. WolfItDown.com is up and live right now. Uh, our first newsletter goes out next week. Uh, which is very exciting. And then our retail store is going to open up soon. We've got some fun collaborations right now because like there's so many people that are from a brand standpoint, like whoever you're into, whatever relationships you have, you know, make make a bonding relationship with those people. Call them up and say, hey, listen, let's work on a thing together. Let's make a limited edition run of something because everybody wants to feel like they have some connection. And, and those branding relationships right now will carry you on forever. If they know that you were there for them in the rough times, they'll be there for you when times are really, really good too. We're reaching out to all of our, our branding partners and saying, hey, what can we do big and small? Like tonight we're doing um, a live telecast with one of our wine partners, this big wine club called Cooper's Hawk. They, they didn't have any money because they, they just like closed uh, all the restaurants and laid off 5,000 people. And I'm like, dude, don't worry about it. It's not about money right now. It's about us you know, doing things together as a group because like we've been working together for years and you were there for me and now I'm there for you, right? So anyway, we're doing a live broadcast tonight with Cooper Sock, which is going to be great. And, and, and all this is starting to wrap itself up into kind of a new brand right now that we're very excited about called Wolf It Down, which is cool. And it's, it's about, you know, Wolf It Down, it's sort of like taking a crusty piece of bread and making sure you get the last little bit of delicious sauce out of the bowl, right? It's, it's that philosophy in life and just like making sure that you're, you're seeing everything, you're getting everything, you're doing everything, you're tasting everything. And, and it's going to be uh, a really fun project to work on. I mean, you've been on a ton of television shows on Food Network and stuff. And I imagine that is a very coveted position to be in in the culinary world. I mean, like everyone, I would assume, would want their own television show. I don't know if anyone told you kind of what the premise of the show is, but um, it's an origin story show. I like to find out how people got to where they are now. How did you get that blue check mark? How did you get like these 17 different television shows? And then people can use that as a blueprint in their life, whatever it is, whether it's cooking or acting or, you know, being accountant of how to become successful. So I want to take a quick break. And when we come back, I want to find out how the hell you became such a big name in the world of culinary television. Okay. You got it. Stick around guys. LASIK.com. Have a ton of questions about LASIK? You're not alone. That's why we created LASIK.com, one place where you can go to find every answer to every question on your mind. Like, how much does LASIK cost? How long does recovery take? How do I find a doctor? If you've been thinking about LASIK, go to LASIK.com now. Yeah, LASIK.com. Easy to remember, so you know where to start. L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. You deserve a moment to yourself every single day. And a delicious bite of a Keebler Sandies can give you that comforting pause. <sighs> Celebrate the end of your workday with the melt-in-your-mouth magic of a Keebler Sandies. This magic is baked into simple shortbread cookies by Ernie and the Keebler Elves. So as another busy Thursday flies by, make the most of your me moment. Take a pause and enjoy a Keebler Sandies. Time is a luxury for us, especially if you're a mom. That's why we need a skincare routine that's easy, fast, and gives us results. 
Plus, what if your products had thousands of five-star reviews? Were natural and affordable? Well, say hello to Dime Beauty. Dime Beauty is clean, high-end skincare that is affordable. And it really works. Not sure where to start? I highly recommend the Work System. It's everything you need in one powerful package. Take out the guesswork with a proven routine that includes a gentle yet effective cleanser, a super skin toner, two incredible serums, and two luxurious moisturizers. See what everyone is raving about. Dime has over 2 million happy customers, and their product reviews are literally five stars. And right now through Monday, Dime has their spring into savings sale. Get 25% off site-wide. Go to dimebeautyco.com for 25% off every product on the site. That's dimebeautyco.com for 25% off. But hurry, the spring into savings sale ends Monday. Go to dimebeautyco.com. All right, back on the Wells cast, I have Tyler Florence on the show. He owns the very popular restaurant in San Francisco called Wayfair Tavern. He's been seen on so many different television shows like Globe Trekker, Food 911, How to Boil Water, Worst Cooks in America. He's got a, a YouTube series out right now called Wolf It Down. And I just want to know how the hell you got here. I know that you're a Southern guy, right? Like I, you went to right. school in the South. Were you born in South Carolina? Yep, I was born in uh, South Carolina. And uh, I you know, uh, grew up in a small town called Greenville, which is the northwestern part of the state. And if you're from Greenville, you say Greenville, not Greenville, mm-hmm. it's Greenville. So Greenville, South Carolina. And then I went I went to culinary school in Charleston. I was there for about four and a half years going to school and hanging out. And then I moved to New York City after that. And, and that was in 1994. I moved to Brooklyn, New York and lived in Brooklyn for almost 10 years. And then, then I moved to Manhattan and you know, worked with a bunch of restaurants. And then I, I kind of stumbled into the Food Network a long time ago. Man, this is my 24th year on Food Network, 24 years. And it's been uh, it's been a crazy ride. You know, I, I, I feel incredibly lucky and grateful to say that my career and maybe maybe two dozen other people have, have had sort of a similar track. It, it's one of those things that, that once you get there, because I've seen a lot of people get there, it's really hard to stay there. Right. And that's the most important thing is making sure that you've got the ability to take those opportunities when they come and really rise to the occasion from a branding standpoint and stay there and 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 do really great things and, and be that person that people that you that you know you are, even if you're growing into that position, just just to commit. Like I think that's the most important thing, just to commit who you are from a branding track standpoint. But I mean it, it's it's a long story, lots of details in there, you know, but about who, when and where. But I mean, but for the most part, you know, we started out uh, as an executive chef when I was twenty five years old in Manhattan and one of the executives from Food Network stumbled into the restaurant that was the, the executive chef of uh, and you know really liked what we were doing from a food standpoint and I was out walking around the tables and saying hi to people and and she handed me her card and say hey listen we you know we got this brand new food channel on and of course I'd heard of it because it was blowing up in New York City and LA and Chicago and so I, I did one guest appearance in 1996 and that was it and so, you know, in two years after that, I had I had my first show. Let's rewind the reels just a little bit. So like the year is, I don't know, 1985, you're in Greenville, 
South Carolina. Are you an only child? Do you have siblings? Are your parents chefs? What's happening in the family? I have uh, three brothers. There's four of us all together. And, uh, and my, you know, my, my parents aren't chefs. You know, my, my dad had a lot of different jobs growing up. You know, he's always just sort of a fighter and, and a hustler and, and doing all kinds of cool things. And, and my mom was an accountant uh, her whole life. So, you know, she was, uh, you know, the interesting thing about my mom's position, right? So she was the, the accountant for the local NBC station in Greenville, South Carolina growing up. And, and so she was a single mom because my parents divorced when I was, I guess I was in third grade. And so she would take us to the studio and my older brother and I would just run around the studio while she was working and, and we would literally sit in the control room and watch the director cut the news live. So in this interesting way, like by the time when I, when I got to the television world, I felt very comfortable being in a room with cameras and televisions and I kind of understood the positions of what, who did what. And, and obviously from a culinary standpoint, I kind of had that unlocked. Now, standing in front of the camera and cooking and talking is a whole different skill that needs to be sharpened as you go along. Definitely took a while to kind of get good at that, but being in the, the, the studio itself, I, I surprisingly felt very, very comfortable with it early on. So grew up in South Carolina. I've got uh, three brothers, parents, not really cooks, but, you know, growing up in the South, everybody eats a lot and cooks a lot. And so there was always, you know, hot left, hot fried chicken popping out of, you know, kitchen someplace. And, uh, and yeah, I mean, you know, in, in the South, everything is like brown and good. Yeah. So did you know, I mean, you went to culinary school, so there was a thought process to this is what I want to go do. I assume you knew you wanted to do it. I don't know, in, uh, sometime in the middle of high school, were you cooking a lot as a kid? Yeah, so I, I started cooking just for fun. I mean, you know, and, and I remember when I was in like seventh grade or yeah, seventh grade in my locker, mm -hmm. you know, because there, there was everybody puts pictures up in their locker. And I had I had, I had pictures of, of hot chicks, uh, <laughs> Tony, Tony Hawk and no kidding, Julie Child. <laughs> and that that's what the inside of my locker looked like when I was a kid, just because like I just I just really loved cooking. I just thought it was amazing. So on the weekends, you know, we would watch, we'd sort of flip back and forth from, you know, cartoons to what was happening on PBS. And and I just really gravitated towards it. I just thought it was fun. And uh, and really just started kind of cooking along with my parents and, and my on my dad's side of the family. It's an interesting kind of cocktail between, you know, on my mom's side being remotely in sort of this the inside of a studio capacity, but also on my dad's side. Because my dad was youngest of eight kids. And so, I, I mean, I have a, a really big family on his side. And so every weekend was somebody's thing. Every weekend was a birthday party or, you know, an anniversary or, or something. So we we're always cooking, packing up food in the car, and then taking these things to these big, huge potluck things um, all over the place, like what they call a covered dish in, in, in the South. Um, so we we're always just sort of rehearsing what ultimately became practice of being in a restaurant um, early on as a kid. And I started working in restaurants professionally when I was 15. I started washing dishes. Really? Yeah. So I started washing dishes when I was a um, sophomore in high school and just started washing dishes, kind of really gravitating towards what was happening on the, on the other side of the line. And then I moved to prep and then, you know, started working on, you know, I'd make the holidays and then help the butcher butcher down filet mignon. And then I'd, you know, learn how to crack lobsters. And when you have those epiphanies as like a young chef, like, have you, have you seen Ratatouille? Of You've course. You've seen Ratatouille? Yeah. Yeah, that's my uh, suggestion to everybody, especially if, if you're young, if you're, you know, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, and you've got nothing holding you back. You know, it's like take your bag and take your knife bag and go max out your credit card. Who cares? But go to Paris, right? Go, go to New York City, go to Los Angeles, go cook in a big city with big name chefs that are doing big things, right? And absorb their energy and absorb their talent and absorb who they are as people as much as possibly can because all this stuff will come back to you tenfold later, right? And so those moments where you crack a lot 
lobster and you dip it into like fresh lemon mayonnaise for the first time and you taste that and you're like, oh my God, where Remy the rat, you know, and his brother, he tasted strawberries and Parmesan cheese for the first time. And they were like, oh, it was amazing. I just had a bunch of experiences like that. And then, I, you know, then I waited tables and I bust tables and really fell in love with the restaurant industry. Mm-hmm. And then by the time I went to culinary school, when I was 18, I went to Johnson and Wales University in Charleston, South Carolina. Uh, when I went to culinary school there, I, I'd already had four and a half years of, of restaurant experience and then just just smoked culinary school, just smoked it. And I stayed around for uh, two more years and then I got a bachelor's degree in hotel restaurant management because I, I, you know, anybody can make a nice scallop, but you know, uh, a chef that doesn't know what they're doing with food costs and labor controls can, can bankrupt the restaurant in six months. So, so I, I just felt, I felt having that knowledge would be important. So I uh, stuck around and got a business degree. And then uh, in, in 2000, no, 2015, they gave me an honorary doctorate, which I, I thought was a lovely, lovely gift. So do you make everyone call you doctor now? <laughs> should I? I should, right? <laughs> I mean, it's kind of hot. I never really knew what to do with it. You know, I mean, should I? I mean, you know, put it yes. on your, at least put it in your driver's license. You know? <laughs> yeah. First of all, what was the name of the restaurant that you started washing dishes at? place called the fish market yep. in greenville south carolina or greenville is it still there say locally no got it closed a long time ago oh, okay okay so um and then also the school that you went to for culinary school was it the same school that you got your business management um degree in yeah yeah so johnson wales university they moved to charlotte they they closed the campus and and they moved to charlotte Maybe almost ten years after I graduated, so I, I, I got a you know, so I got my culinary like, business degree in in 1994, the same year I moved to New York City, uh, and then I think they moved to um, to Charlotte. Must have been um, in the early 2000s, sometime 2004, 2005. But they've been in Charlotte. The campus is stunning, uh, and uh, and yeah, so it, the, the school's healthier, I, th- I think, in Charlotte. But um, yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, culinary is really important to kind of get a good foundation. Not everything, to be honest with you, right? Like, you know, because I, I think it's, it's really more about what you can do and not necessarily what you say you did or where you went. It's really more about your physical ability, especially in the kitchen. Mm-hmm. So you can either go to school or go to the school of hot stoves. Yeah. You know, like if you, if you just start to say, I, you know, I worked in Paris, I worked in London, I worked in LA, I worked in New York. I mean, that, that is that's better than a culinary degree if you've got the grit to, stand, to stick it up. I actually almost went to college at Charleston. And the reason why I didn't, because I remember the ratio was seven to two women to men. And I was like, there's no way I'm ever going to graduate if I go to a college that has this many beautiful women. So I imagine that was a very formative time for you as a cook, but also as a good looking young Tyler Florence, Dr. <laughs> Tyler Florence. Going to school in Charleston, I, I live right behind the college Charleston, yeah. and uh, my apartment was right next to two, a couple sororities. So uh, it's all true, my friend. I mean, you said everyone should at some point grab their bag of knives and go to Paris, and and you kind of glazed over them. I mean, I know you went to New York and Manhattan and Brooklyn, but did you go to Paris first? Well, I think my first trip to Paris, I've never cooked in Paris. I've cooked in Italy. I staged in Italy and I've staged in London. Uh, but I've, I've never, I've never cooked in Paris, although I've been there many times. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think my first trip to Paris, I was 19. Wow. You know, I didn't have any money whatsoever. And so, you know, and you, and, and just tasting like baguettes and brie and tomatoes and olive oil is a very, very special experience. But just kind of walking around and just sort of smelling the culture and soaking up a society that really pays attention to food at such a high level. It, you know, you, you pick up everything. You graduate, you go up north. Do you go to Brooklyn first? 
Yeah, so I, I graduated from culinary school, and then I moved to Manhattan. I mean, I, I got a job with uh, Charlie Palmer at Oriel in New York City, and uh, found a, a dirt cheap apartment in in Brooklyn, New York, in uh, um, God Cobble Hill, and which is now a super hot neighborhood. Yeah, but it was you know, <laughs> right underneath the right underneath the BQE. Every time a truck would go by, the building would shake, and and and, and I, I can't remember how much it cost, but it was just it was nothing. And and I didn't have any money either, man. I moved to New York City. I signed an additional loan check for like two thousand five hundred bucks, which felt like a lot of money at the time. Yeah. Um, but I moved to New York City with two thousand five hundred dollars to my name, and that was first month's rent, last month's rent, the security deposit, and about five hundred dollars wow. until I got a paycheck. Right. And, but to me, like I knew that that was the next step, regardless of how painful it was going to be for the short term. But I knew that was the next step. I had to be in Manhattan. Are you the executive chef at the point in which Food Network comes and kind of scoops you up? I was 25 years old and, and I was the executive chef of a restaurant called Shibo. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's still there, uh, which I'm very proud of. It's on Second uh, Avenue and 42nd Street. Okay. Right on the cusp of Tudor City, right there on the east side. And, you know, uh, uh, contemporary Italian. And we were, you were getting a like, huge buzz all over the city and, uh, you know, just really kind of cracking into fantastic Italian food so, and making it up a lot of it, honestly. Cause at 25, I, you know, I, I, I had been to Italy a couple of times, but not to the point where I had really cooked there. Cause that was a little bit later in my, in, in my life. I was almost 30. And, uh, um, um, just really loving it. And then Food Network, you know, one of the executives from the network happened to be in the restaurant. It was really the right place at the right time story. And she handed me her card and said, hey, listen, do you want to come do, you know, the news next week with us? And I jumped on it. And for years, I always said yes. I prepped my own food. I showed up on time. I knew my recipe cold and just got better at it every single time. This is like in the infancy of, of the Food Network though, right? Yeah, man. This is, dude, this is... This is 1996. Okay, so the first gig was news, you said? Yeah, they had this live news show called In Food Today with Donna Hanover, who happened to be Giuliani's now ex-wife, and David Rosengarten. It was called In Food Today. So they would do sort of a recap of what was happening in like the news food world, and then at the end of it, they would have a chef do a live uh, demo. Got it. Do you remember what you cooked that first first time on TV? I do, man. I do. I did this like morel salad, morel and watercress. This episode is making me hungry. Okay. So (laughs) go do this news thing, but when does it pivot into like, they gave you a show or you got to like, kind of be the focal point of said show? Yeah, that was two years later. So 1998. And then between 1996 and 1998, they were, they were using me to fill in on every show that they had. Cause most of the shows they had at that point were we're all about guests coming in to do things, right? So Sarah Moulton, I was I did her show a bunch. You know, I did Ready Set Cook, which is, you know, a precursor to Iron Chef and Chopped now. You know, the sort of a blind box ingredient cook off. I did that a bunch. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I was on I mean, I was on television once a week anyway. I mean, Chef Du Jour, uh, all these like really, really early infancy uh, food network shows. And then in 1998, they they offered. They said, "Hey, you know, do you want to do this full time?" And they they gave me they offered me a development deal that was like twenty thousand bucks, twenty something like yeah. kind of you know not not nothing, but not a lot. But it was just enough. I was I'd hit that point in my career, my my culinary career, where I was just I was just probably a little burnt out anyway because I you know I was 25 and I'd be cooking professionally since so I was like 14, 15 years old, and uh, but and well, so this was more like 27. 
and I, I was just looking for something different to do anyway. And I just felt to my, I felt to myself, um, you know, if I don't do this, because I can always go back and cook. If I don't do this, I'll never know what it's like. And I feel like I'll regret it for the rest of my life. I turned in my resignation and signed up full time with Food Network. And the rest is kind of history. I mean, we did uh, our first show was called Food 911. Yep. And I was the first chef on Food Network to not wear a chef's coat. Okay. Because every chef, you know, it, it, to me, it felt like a Superman cape. So, you know, I could do it because I have this jacket on, but and and you don't, and maybe you can't, right? So I, I want to sort of change the storyline a little bit where it was just me as an everyday guy mm-hmm. who could go into your house and show you how to cook things, right? Because, like, that's where the rubber meets the road when it comes to connecting with people. How can you help them in their own home? Because that's where they're cooking every day, right? And that's the audience that's consuming your content. So help them in their own space. So we started doing this cool show where I would travel around the country and help people out with their everyday food emergencies. And, and you know, it was a huge success. We were Emeril Lagasse's lead-in for, God, three or four years. And, and we, got, we shot 90 episodes a year for six years. That's crazy. So yeah. you've quit working in Manhattan. When do you make the trek over to San Francisco? I was in New York City for 14 years. I met my lovely wife, Tolan, uh, at the Sundance Film Festival in Park City, Utah in 2004. She was living in Manhattan at the time, and I was still shooting television pretty heavily. So we started dating after the festival back in Manhattan. Two years later, we got married and got pregnant, and then figuring out what my next step was going to be, I figured out, like, I've been in New York City for a long time, too, and I love California. Like, you, you, you love California? Yeah, but I grew up here, though, so. I've- yeah, I grew up in the South, and you know, specifically shooting with Food Network. Every time I'd go to California, I just imagine myself living there. She's from Marin, and that's where we're living now, just mm-hmm. north of San Francisco, just across the Golden Gate Bridge. Uh, her parents live here, and she grew up here. So when we were dating, we would come see your folks and hang out in San Francisco for a couple of days. And, and, and I'm like, there's no reason in the world I wouldn't just want to love living here. So, so when we were expecting our first child together, I said, let's just jump. I think life is short. Life is for living. And we moved to California in 2007. Awesome. It's so funny because I do this show a lot with actors or musicians. And the the one common denominator that we found with all like really successful people is that they all started in the service industry. <laughs> mm-hmm, yeah. It teaches you, you know, how to hustle. It's like, it's a lot of late nights, but it's also flexible in terms of like, you can go make your audition or you can go play your gig and get someone to cover for you. And this is the first episode where we had someone that actually continued doing the food industry thing and became uber, uber successful. So I I love it's become like full circle here. I'm not a very good cook. I like to cook and I like to mess around in the kitchen and I'm obsessed with all that is food porn and food network and everything. You watch a lot of these shows and every chef has that kind of their own personality do you have people that you watch on Food Network who you're like, man, I really, I really like their style or I like their persona? Who are you a fan of in the Food Network world? Ray Drummond, the Pioneer Woman, I love her stuff. Uh, she's so great and so just easy to listen to, and and I love her storytelling. And I, I love the fact that they can, you know, she goes out in the field and and she, you know, she was so it's not just sort of like locked into a studio. This actually they they shoot some of the surroundings, and that's part of the story. Um, Ina Garden is just you know she's she's the, she's the queen. Nobody's better than her. Mm-hmm. Um, I love her food style and I love her her uh, direct to camera confidence. It's so just so refreshing to watch. 
and and her ability to kind of make um, make messy look beautiful. And you know, I, I think a lot of people feel very confident. It's not about perfection; it's about flavor. And and so just making it taste really really great and kind of putting it together in in a way that feels effortless. So I think that's always kind of fun to watch. Um, I, you know, as far as like the competition stuff goes, like a Duff versus Buddy, which I, I think is just so hysterical because I know both of them. Duff is a really good friend of mine, so I'm, I'm team Duff all the way. I think that he's such a super talent. And he, even just him, you know, making cakes on a regular basis, he, that brother is a fantastic chef. He's an amazing chef. He's a great cook. So I, li- I like watching him cook a lot. You know, Bobby is just always just, you know, he's just, he's an endless well of culinary talent and inspiration and hustle. And, and he's funny. And I, I, I love what he's doing on, on Instagram. I think his little like curb your enthusiasm as cooking series he's working on. I think those are super funny. You know, everybody has their own little thing. Everybody, and that's what I love about Food Network. There's something for everybody. You know, when, when you log on and it's like, you know, guys got a huge audience and, and, uh, and, and Rachel's kind of bouncing back in and out and, you know, the chops franchise is huge. And, and so there's always something really cool to gravitate towards when you start dumping, jumping the food network, there's somebody that you're going to love. Yeah. And, and, and that's what I love about it. So, so you always kind of connect with the personality first and, and that's what makes the network so successful. They're very personality driven. This is that moment that I think separates a lot of people, right? Because there's a lot of people that have great personalities, but they don't really have the background or the the depth of knowledge to keep keep it going for 10 seasons. And this is where this and this moment right here, what I'm saying right now, is that moment where like culinary professionals, because right now it, it feels like that thing that part of Nashville is thinking about doing. Yeah, we'll just jump into a cooking show. It'll be great. We'll make what mama used to make in the kitchen. You're gonna last six episodes. Yeah. <laughs> right. And you're gonna run out of gas because you've got you because you don't really have just um, a lifetime of cooking knowledge that you could walk up to a counter of ingredients and ice cold, talk about every bit of it and ice cold, make an amazing meal in 30 minutes and know what that's all about. If you have the enthusiasm for it, that's the most important thing because that will drive you, right? So then then there's the personality side of it. And no one's going to watch a dud in the kitchen. It doesn't matter how good you are. So you have to be very engaging with a lot of people. And then the third part about this is you have to know what you're talking about. You have to know what you're talking about. And you have to be the smartest person in the room when it comes to cooking. And you have to have the authority to be able to you know, write. Dude, I've written 16 cookbooks, right? So your curiosity, your ability to write great recipes, testing them out thoroughly, and then you could literally just create another season of 13 episodes and another season of 13 episodes and never run out of gas when it comes to creating great content. If you have to play fake it till you make it for a little while until you get to that point that you're incredibly competent with it, that's just reading, 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 right? I have over a thousand cookbooks in my house, right? And so so you 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 kind of pick up a little technique here and an ingredient there and some sort of interesting tip here and you fold those with a new position so so you're not knocking anybody off but you have sort of a fresh uh, pinpointed place on that. Like that that's the difference between you know hopping on food network for a couple of minutes because you know you're you're you've got a good name and then surviving and lasting for a really, really long time. And that's just having the depth of knowledge to be able to just cook forever. Love it. Tyler, I want to be respectful of your time, but before I let you go, I wanted to do a rapid fire question with you. Is that yeah, good? Let's do it. All right. Rapid fire questions with Tyler Florence. Number one, did you ever have a poster hanging on your bedroom wall? Yeah, a bunch, man. It was Farrah Fawcett and Led Zeppelin. Yeah, <laughs> that's a good combo right there. 
Like the really good Farrah Fawcett yeah. one. You know what I'm talking about? The one piece. Yep. And she's got this like root beer brown uh, one piece bathing suit on and mm-hmm. like with like that Malibu like tousled hair. <laughs> no, I know. Yeah, bro. Yeah, no, exactly. Like rock and roll yeah. and <laughs> pretty girls. Yeah. And that was my life, man. That's what I was into. First concert you ever went to in the vein of music. If I say Sha Na Na, do you know yes. what I'm talking about? Yeah, of course. Yeah. So I went to go see Sha Na Na. My dad, uh, in, in one of his you know iterations of his career, he sold advertising for a local radio station in upstate South Carolina. Mm-hmm. And we used to go to we used to go see shows all the time, as a matter of fact. My first big concert was KISS. I went to go see KISS in 1979 with their makeup on for the KISS Alive Tour. It's KISS Alive 2 tour. And uh, and and yeah, it was it was amazing. I got I got dressed up as Paul Stanley mm-hmm. with a big star, <laughs> and uh, yeah, it was great, man. We, we were we were my older brother and I were part of the Kiss Army, and we used to play uh, play tennis rackets to Kiss albums all the time, and rock and roll night party every day. Make model first car. My first car was a 1966 Comet Capri. It was a Mercury. It was a tank. I think it got maybe eight miles to the gallon. Uh, I bought it for my grandfather for $500 that I made myself when I was 15 years old. Washing dishes. Who would you call to get you out of jail? I would call my wife. <laughs> <laughs> I would call my wife because like in, in, uh, uh, and I either, you know, regardless of the circumstances of how I ended up in jail, um, you know, she, first of all, she would just like calmly say, okay, let's take care of business. And then she, she'd give it to me when I, when I, when I got home, because obviously I was doing something naughty, nobody better on planet earth and a hustle than my wife. Nobody. I, th- I think you're the first person. Everyone always answers with either my manager or my, my assistant. You're the first person that said the right answer, which is your significant other. Yeah, I'd call my wife if I called my manager, if I called my agent, or call my lawyer. Yeah. They'd call my wife. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Let's save the quarter, yeah? What's your favorite pizza topping? I gotta tell you, I'm really into chili oil, right? If we had to go top, 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 top. Mm-hmm. You know, like to me, so um, I, I am so a chili head. And so like drizzling chili oil over top of, you know, a really great, uh, like, you know, uh, pepperoni pizza has like you know, handmade charcuterie on top of it. Or if it, even if it's just like a white pie with like you know like clam and bechamel, chili oil, broccoli, bacon, um, you know mushroom, chili oil is just fantastic. I use chili oil on everything. What is your go-to hangover cure in terms of food? Green juice, man. Green juice, nutrition. What? <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah. Well, no, no, no. Seriously, man. Because like you know, you want to say biscuits and gravy. You want to say uh, wherebos rancheros, right? You you want to say like a greasy egg sandwich. You want to say that, but like I tell you, if I if I've had a little too much, the, the next day is just a a big blast of nutrition in my body. Just so my I'm I'm doing my body a favor, right? Because those greasy eggs may feel good for a second, but they're not gonna do anything for your hangover. Yeah. Last one: waffles or pancakes. Yo, waffles or pancakes, man. Um, waffles or pancakes. I'm going to have to side with my 12-year-old son. I'm saying waffles. I'm saying waffles all day. Because pancakes, man, because you know, I, I, like I like the crunchy bits with, uh, with the waffles. Mm-hmm. And you can do a lot with them. And, and pancakes, it, you know, it, the, it's the sort of monochromatic on your palate. Yeah. When your first bite and your last bite, it's all kind of the same thing. Fluffy, delicious. Don't get me wrong. But uh, for that crispy, delicious texture – waffles all day. Tyler Florence, thank you so much for being on the Wells cast. Your story is amazing, super inspirational. I've met you before. You're a great guy in and out of the kitchen. So again, thank you so much for all you do, man. My absolute pleasure, man. And you know, these like positive broadcasts right now are exactly what people want to hear. And I got to tell you, in conclusion, right now, there's an opportunity 
to be innovative and start that company that you always wanted to start. That one that you and your best friend have been talking about for years. Now is the time to do it. Absolutely. If you want to follow Tyler, you can on, uh, I guess, all social medias. You're just at Tyler Florence, right? All just one word. Yep. At Tyler Florence. And then check out our new YouTube channels. Uh, It's Wolf It Down and then Wolf It Down ITK, which means in the kitchen. Yeah, if you go follow him on Instagram in his bio, he's got a link to the YouTube channel. So yeah. just go there, give him a follow, and then go watch the YouTube channel. Is there anything that you are working on or wanting to promote that I didn't ask you about? We've got a brand new restaurant coming up, the Chase Center with the Golden State Warriors sometime this year. Fingers crossed. Food Network is awesome as always. Great food truck race Thursdays, 9 o'clock. The new season's out. Yeah, we're just, we're just loving everybody, man. All right. Tyler, thanks so much for taking the time. Stay safe out there. And Hi, yeah, hopefully we'll uh, we'll have you on again. All right, buddy. Thanks so much, man. Take care. You too, man. See ya. I'm hungry now. Go make some food. Subscribe to Wells Cast on iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere you get your podcasts. It's the internet. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. You deserve a moment to yourself every single day. And a delicious bite of a Keebler Sandies can give you that comforting pause. (sighs) Celebrate the end of your workday with the melt-in-your-mouth magic of a Keebler Sandies. This magic is baked into simple shortbread cookies by Ernie and the Keebler Elves. So as another busy Thursday flies by, make the most of your me moment. Take a pause and enjoy a Keebler Sandies. 